0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and
1: welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is presented by BetOnline.ag. And look, opening day baseball, 162 games, baby. It's just a couple of days away, so you're going to need to go to BetOnline for all your wagering needs because it's the number one spot for all the updated odds and info, along with great contests, all over the board. So what are you waiting for? Head on your mobile device or go to the website. Sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's only when you use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get started. Online, your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Bet online where the game starts ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for coming to the pod and for checking it out on youtube like and subscribe my name is Joe christopoulos it is a white Sox season preview right now so what better than to have my returning guests join the panel they are the co-hosts of good guys talk back one of my favorite podcasts and maybe something that i'm repping today here on the pod for our youtube video it's cotton it's soft it's delicious it's wonderful i'm ready for 162 let's say hello to them right now it's pat hester hello pat
2: Hey, I love when anybody describes things as delicious that has our name on it. That's fantastic. Thank you for the welcome. Excited to be here and excited to talk White Sox baseball today.
1: Well, I appreciate the chorizo edible that you got for me. This is this is edible. I can eat it and munch on it if I want to. Uh, coming up next, our other co host the Good Guys Talk Back. And if I may say a big congratulations to the new host of Locked on Sox, one of the biggest White Sox podcasts that you're going to find around, bringing it down for you all season long. It's Nick Murawski. Hello, Nick.
0: Joey, hello. Thank you so much for having us on. Very excited for this season. A real pleasure to talk with you, buddy. This
1: uh, This is why we do all these pods, man, for these types of season previews for a team like the White Sox that has big aspirations for this year. Before we dive into the news and notes and some of the season preview that we're going to have, Nick, just real quick, man, congratulations on Lockdown Socks for the audience that is watching and listening right now. Just give us a little taste of what you're going to be bringing to the table. Uh, You guys go pretty often, a lot of pods, a lot of information, and uh, just give us a quick little uh, primer for it.
0: It's a daily podcast, Monday through Friday. Uh, you know, the plan it is in your inbox in the morning. Uh, hopefully it's your first listen. Uh, you know, I'm bringing my insight, my passion. I'm a season ticket holder. I'm watching the games. If I'm not at the game, I'm listening to the game. I consume a lot of White Sox and I, I'm paying it forward, passing it along to the listener. Uh, it's part of the lockdown. Uh, network. Uh, they've got some great podcasts, so uh, it's a real honor to be part of uh, of what they got going on here. This platform, Locked On White Socks, uh, on Twitter, uh, on Instagram at Locked On Socks, and, and we've got our YouTube channel as well. So um, it should be a very fun season.
1: And have no fear, Good Guys Talk Back is also going to be bringing great content all season long, and hopefully, it's going to be a very successful. A wildly fun and entertaining White Sox season, but it's gotten off to a bit of a rump, rump, uh, bumpy start. So let's just dive right into it. Let's get to the news and notes of the weekend. Pat, if you would like to go first. When Rick Hahn calls a press conference, do you just do a couple Hail Marys now
2: at this point? <laughs> do you, do I do you start rosary. having... I get yeah. the whole rosary out and... I, I what mean, is this I about? Ask, I don't want to know what this yeah, is about. Yeah, and I do the act of contrition. I do all the things that I used to do when I was... Uh, Catholic. Um, you know, it's it's never fun to listen to a Rick Hahn pet press conference, because one, it's usually lies, or when it's truth, it's about somebody's injury and surgery that's coming up. So uh, yeah, hearing from Rick Hahn at this point is, is not an enjoyable situation, but you know, he's, you know, for a lot of Sox fans, there's a lot of people out there giving him a hard time, because they kind of say, well, you put yourself in this situation, you, you rely too much on people to stay healthy, and now it's biting you right in the ass right before the season starts and we're scrambling. So a lot of people don't that are not Rick Hahn fans are, are saying, see, told you, should have spent some dough when there was pitchers when, you know, they're available just for cash. The optics are tough, too, right? I mean, Lance Lynn, big
1: physical presence on the mound. Had a right knee problem leading into the end tail end of last year. Didn't pitch well in the playoffs. Gets to spring training and now there's a tear in there. Obviously, Rick Hahn says they're unrelated because there was no tear last season. That's why he would have had surgery. He's having surgery now, but it still doesn't look very good. Nick, I want to ask you, let's just maybe like lie back on the couch of this real quick, right? I mean, when we get to spring training, baseball finally comes back. We're so excited. We're ready to roll. You're thinking, man, let's just get ready. Opening day, here we come. You get the news of Lance Lynn now. It's going to be out six to eight weeks. Just kind of what do you think it does for a White Sox fan psyche right now when we should be really, really excited about hopefully a historical season?
0: Well, you, you have to think about the uh, the three moves that have really happened in the last you know 72 hours, maybe four days. Uh, the Sox get a legitimate outfielder finally. And almost immediately we hear about Garrett Crochet, And then, you know, a day later, we get the Lance Lynn news. And it's a real bummer because this starting rotation carried this team uh, last year. Now, thankfully, boy, we are going in right now, offensively, very healthy. Uh, And I I know a lot of people say, you know, ball go far, team go far. I am am of the pitching mindset that I'm more, I'm going to rely more on consistent pitching than on consistent offense So you've got a guy that could have been your opening day starter in Lance Lynn. And, you know, look, he made some comments about a month ago, I think tongue-in-cheek about his conditioning situation. And he kind of laughed off when there were comments about Giolito bulking up. And someone asked uh, Lynn, like, what what are his conditioning, uh, you know, what's his regimen? and he yeah exactly he was like what what i don't have to run i don't have to do anything now there's truth in comedy right and he was getting a laugh out of some people but uh, hey as a fan i just gotta wonder like what is the conditioning man you're 276.5 i mean are you working that knee out properly you know because it, now now we're looking at maybe mid-may if that
1: yeah, no, if we're lucky, because once he gets shut down, they're going to have to ramp him all the way back up over again. And you're bringing up a really good point where I remember the narrative was that he liked keeping the weight on because it helped him with his fastball. It helped him with his endurance. But what did we learn last year? He broke down towards the tail end. And if you have a swollen knee, what else can you other say other than him putting a lot of pressure and maybe too much bearing too much weight on that knee and now he comes in and it's going to be hard. A guy that we counted on as a workhorse. You know, Pat, I want to ask you, What do you think? Is there an immediate move outside the organization that you would like to see? Or are you a little bit more of the let's batten down the hatches, spread these innings around a little bit Mm. and see where we are in two months? Because outside also as well, if I can just interject real quick, is that in Major League Baseball, I think a lot of teams are going to be going through this. Yeah, I think the first month of the season is going to be weird. I'm not sure if it's going to be reflective of who is truly maximizing their talent early on. You know, you, you hear the rumor that you, you could see a lot of 500 records out there. So, Pat, in your opinion, how would you attack this situation when you're down an ace like Lance Lynn for maybe yeah. a good while?
2: Yeah, and, and and I've seen just very briefly today on Twitter some conversation about Johnny Cueto and the Sox interest in him. I, I don't know if you go down that path or not. I don't know if you even can spread out the innings, because let's be honest, there was already talk about having to spread things out with Kopech and, and his mm-hmm. workload, and how are we going to manage that and ramp him up to – you know, 160 plus innings, hopefully more throughout the year. So that means we're going to have to spread some innings out already amongst the bullpen. So you might get a heavy dose of a Ronaldo Lopez. Let's hope it's the Ronaldo Lopez. We saw most of last year and the surprise and the, you know, the eyes are working. The peepers are all fixed and he's seeing the the signs that are supposed to be thrown. And, and I I don't know, I'd like to see him go outside of the organization because honestly, I can't, envision a way that they are going to be able to spread innings out when they already had to do that with Kopech. So, um, and and you're going to have to do it also with Dallas Keuchel. Let's be honest, because Dallas is probably going to only give you two or three innings every game with what we've seen in spring and what we saw from last year. I, I, you can't convince me that he's going to be any better than he was last year. Probably Nick is probably going to fall out of his chair. When I say this probably be worse. And I'm Mr. Optimistic when it comes to most things. So I'd like to see it come from outside of the organization. I don't necessarily think it's going to be a top end of the rotation type guy because they aren't out there. You're, you're probably just going to have to find an, an innings eater type person and manage your way again and navigate your way through some injuries.
1: And, Nick, I want to throw
2: it to you on this one because I want
1: you to weigh in. You know, I was trying to do the – I was playing the Johnny Quato game last night, trying to see what's out there, who could be available, what can you do just to get you – you know, lose some bullets, right? Get you through maybe, you know, 60, 70 innings that you might not have had to cover, but now you do have to cover with Lance Living on the Shelf. Read some guys out there. Um, For the life of me, maybe this is a longer podcast at a different time. I have no idea what's going on with J.A. Happ. Is he retired? Is he on the St. Louis Cardinals? I can't really quite figure it out. I don't think he's in camp right now. He's 38, 39 years old. Uh, Mike Fears is still out there, the famous guy on the Oakland A's who said that, you know, the Astros were cheating. He's still out there. Julio Teheran, currently hurt, not available right now. You know, a guy like Luis Castillo, because you go to the Cincinnati Reds and they want to get rid of a ton of people. Shoulder problem, same issue right now. He's out for the first month of the year. I mean, could you go to to a guy like the Orioles and say, hey, what do you want for John Means? You know, 28, 29-year-old, he was their ace last year. Good control guy. I'm not really sure if you want to pay that price. Patrick Corbin's got a ton of money left on his deal with the Nationals. I don't know what you do there. The one that I kind of saw was, and this goes against Jerry Reinsdorf. And I know we want to talk Frankie Montes, but there is a guy named Madison Bumgarner out there who did have a really nice second half of his year last year. He's got some money that's left on a deal. I'm not saying that he's an ace, top of the rotation guy, but he's a guy that can come in and give you professional effort. And let's be honest, he still is Madison Bumgarner. So if you want to run him out there in August, September, he can maybe give you some quality stuff. He was just named opening day starter for the Diamondbacks. So I don't know how amenable they are. I'm just throwing stuff out there, Nick. I mean, what would you like to see outside the organization, cover it from within? Um, You know, what do you think your plan is to attack this through hopefully, you know, mid-May when we get Lance Lynn back?
0: Here's the realistic situation. The realistic situation, you're going to see Ronaldo Lopez and Vince Velasquez pitch a lot of innings in April and in May. I don't like it, but it's how it's going to happen. It's because the organization – Uh, did what they always do. They did not spend money on pitching that they could have had. They could have had Robbie Ray and they could have had him in budget for the White Sox. And they let uh, him go. We know about the Carlos Rodon stuff. Um, Yeah, sure. Montas would be great. And that's the, and that's how it's going to happen. It's going to be through a trade. Now I think a guy like Vaughn is untouchable, uh, but you could package maybe Montgomery sheets, maybe burger, Maybe there's another pen arm in that package for Montas, but the Sox are not going to pay. They're not going to pay Baumgartner uh, that kind of money. And, yeah. you know, it, they just don't pay for pitching. I don't know what it is. You know, we've talked about this uh, over and over. They don't re-sign pitchers, you know, in, in-house. in you, you look at the starting five right now, and none of them are homegrown talent. You know it, that's a bigger con. That's a bigger topic, uh, you know, for the White Sox world and, and fans. But I really I've come to terms with the fact that if you know we could score some runs in this April schedule, you've got 13 of the 21 games against the AL Central. Okay, so that that's a winnable month, and if you've got a healthy Robert and Jimenez and Mancata comes out and a Abreu and Anderson, I'm leaning more on the. Okay, maybe there's gonna be the offense to get us through these these next couple months. And, and I'm really bullish on Giolito and Cs. So yes, I would love another arm. I just don't know where it's gonna happen, how that's gonna happen. So I, I'm I'm accepting the fact that it's gonna be a lot of Lopez and squads
1: Yeah, I mean, we can talk rumors all day long, but man, you're right. I mean, this goes back to us getting cheap on Alex Fernandez in what was that ninety four, ninety five with the Marlins, right? And then moves over to giving Jamie Navarro money and that not really working out. And Ooh. and moves even further. Yeah. We keep going further down the list. You know, I mean, uh Freddie Garcia getting rid of him before his contract was up. I mean, obviously we did kind of invest money in danks and P V and the like, but but Nick, you're right, man. I think it's just more about how the White Sox do business as a philosophy, which I think is an entirely separate pod, which we probably won't get to right now. So let's dive into our season preview. You were alluding to that offense a little bit. We're going to start on the offensive side of the ball. We're going to play a little game called fact or fiction. Now, keep in mind, gentlemen, if you think that this something is fiction, it doesn't mean that you hate the player. It just means that maybe it doesn't get to that number or that particular level this season. Fact is, you're buying in on it. So we're going to start on the offensive offensive side because I'm with you, Nick, where White Sox averaged 4.9 runs per game last year, which was sixth in the major leagues without Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. So in theory, if you get into that top five, when you're over five runs a game, that 5.1, 5. 5.2, 5. I think 5.34 was Houston last year. They led all the major leagues baseball in runs per game. If you get in that area, you can cover up a lot of maybe your pitching deficiencies with that type of offense. So having said that, let's start first, Pat, if you'd like to go first factor fiction, Luis Robert will finish in the top
2: five MVP voting by season's end. Mm-hmm. Well, It's that's interesting. I mean, I'll say uh, I'll say fiction right close, now. but not there. Yeah. And, and the reason why is because you see a lot of chatter out there about MVP future. Who, who's going to be the MVP? And nationally, people aren't putting him on there. Locally, mm-hmm. people are. So I think it's a popularity contest. He's going to be right up there, in my opinion. But I say fiction for the reason of it's the Chicago White Sox and not a different team that he's on.
1: Yeah, I went I went with the top five to try and move it back a little bit because Otani is going to be the odds-on favorite if he stays healthy and pitches and hits mm-hmm. at the same time. But, yeah, and a lot of, a lot of uh, people that are reporting from spring training really love what they're seeing from Luis Robert right now. So, Nick, I'll ask you, factor fiction top five MVP finish for Luis Robert this year?
0: I'm gonna say fact, and, I, and I'm gonna say because of the, the opposite take of Pat's, which I understand, and that's a smart take because that's how traditionally it's been for our White Sox. I think eyes are going to be on the White Sox. Um, you know, there were some power rankings coming out just recently where the Sox are in maybe the top three, top five. Um, So a, a guy like Robert who's really he's been exciting to watch this spring and he's not only going to do it defensively, but he's going to do it offensively uh, in a division that the sox should easily win. I think a lot of eyes are going to be on the socks, and if he's healthy, uh, why not, you know, put him in there. Definitely top five. I, I, I might even get crazy and say top three. Uh, I just have a feeling, man. I just have a feeling he is such a superstar when you watch him play Uh, that this is going to be a breakout year. MVP is built on narrative. And if the white Sox
1: become one of the odds on favorites to maybe win the pennant and go deep and perhaps maybe even win the world series. And we have the AL central pretty much locked up and he plays well. Yeah. You can ask yourself the question, who is it out there? That's going to really be challenging him for that MVP votes outside of an Otani, maybe someone off the Houston Astros. And you always have the AL East who Vlad Guerrero, you know what I mean? Can Toronto maybe take that step forward? So I'm really excited to watch the dude, um, and I definitely think he's going to be a guy that I think I, – I'm just – in my mind, we had such a great season last year, and I keep reminding myself, we did not have Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert for a large portion of that, and imagine what it would be like to have them in there. And my final one on Luis is, granted, uh, not great the biggest sample size in the world, but if you just take away that 2020 September when he hit 130, career batting average 325. So – I mean, and the guy's young with all the skills in the world. So it is a situation that could possibly happen. I'm going to flip it. Nick, we're going to stick with you on this next one right here. Factor fiction over a 162-game schedule. The White Sox have done enough at second base.
0: Oh, that's a fiction. Um, mm-hmm. They they have done themselves well, adding Josh Harrison. Um, I've liked what I've seen uh, this spring. Um, he's hungry. But he's not, I don't think he's the, he's the chip that puts them over the edge. Now, he's also a guy that he doesn't have to do a lot offensively because we've got uh, the guys to do that. If he just does what he needs to do and not look overmatched against a team's one or two arm, uh, he's going to be fine. But I'm not looking at Josh Harrison like, okay, he's going to be the reason why we're going to win a playoff series and go deep in October. I I could see the Sox looking, you know, at the trade deadline for upgrades, perhaps.
1: Still kind of sticking out to me a little bit too as well. Pat weigh in factor fiction. They've done enough at second base. We will not be, we will not be hunting for a second baseman come
2: the deadline. Boy, you've uh, put together some good factor fiction questions here. You're really making me think I'll say fact. And it's only based on the fact that I don't value second base as much as other positions. And I think you can you can hide a second baseman in this lineup, right? And it doesn't have to be your best offensive player if they can just show up and make the routine and, and, and sometimes uh, better than routine plays at second base, be able to turn the double play with your shortstop, be able to cover, you know, uh, uh, again, and cover stealing uh, bases. I'll say fact again, but it's only because personally, I don't value the position as much as maybe other people do especially within this lineup where you talked about a lot of guys stars up and down, then they get the ball, the bar parts. So I'll say fact.
1: Yeah, no, that's totally fair. I mean, also to be fair, Joey Cora is keying your car outside right now. while Ray Durham watches on <laughs> and a Gucci's in I the like getaway car. I, I will say that I
2: do like both of them. No, too. but you know,
1: I, I, I think, I think just maybe expand on that a little bit, Nick, if you want to hop in, I think heading into the off season, I think it was right field versus second base for the Chicago white Sox. What would you prefer? Of course, we'd like both of them to be improved upon, but you know, which one is it going to be? Because the lineup is pretty stacked. It's a pretty potent, intimidating lineup. And you could maybe have one sort of, I don't want to call it weak link, but maybe someone that isn't the biggest star in the world. But Nick, for you, was it trying to figure out right field over second base? And you kind of feel like that we've done that now. Was that kind of how you operated looking at this offseason?
0: I definitely placed a lot of value on right field and I knew uh, I, I wanted more pitching, but uh, right field um, and, and then, and then second base, for some reason, I just had a gut feeling they weren't going to pay uh, Simeon the money that, that he was going to get. And that was the coveted second baseman. I had a feeling that, you know, they would just try to cobble something together. The joke for the longest time among Sox fans was Lurie Garcia is going to be your starting second baseman. And it got to that point until the Harrison uh, move and, and that's fine. That's, that's an upgrade. Um, You know, the the reason why the Sox went out and did what they did with Cesar Hernandez is because you looked at where we were at second base wise. And and of course the Madrigal deal went down, but, well, he was hurt, you know, to begin with, but Lurie Garcia and some of our normal second baseman last year, they just looked overmatched. You know, they were super utility guys. Trying to be an everyday second baseman. And we had a lot of injuries offensively. So it kind of came down to some of those super utility guys. And You know, you got to be strong up the middle. And I think we're all a little bit more confident in Anderson. We're very confident in Grandal and Roberts. So, you know, that's where I place value in second base. But of course, I I thought for the law, you know, it's got to be right field. That has been a black hole for this organization for so many years. (laughs) Since JD, right? Since JD, who's the right fielder after that? Well, you would think it was, you know, probably Avi Garcia, who was the most consistent in, in right field. Carlos
1: Quinton for half a year.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Until he decided to smash his wrist uh, in the (laughs) dugout. But that's where you're at as a fan base. When you start pining for a guy like Avi Garcia who got paid by the Marlins and you're, you're saying to yourself, boy, if only could we could find somebody like Avi Garcia that, you know, we get let go. Um, It's been a trouble spun spot. So when the Pollock deal went down, I mean, that, that really, boy. Um, and, and I'm not saying like Pollock is, uh, you know, he's going to be the, the everything that we've always wanted. And he's going to go to the all-star game and we're going to be singing his praises, but he's a natural uh, outfielder. You know, he's not a first baseman trying to figure out or handle the outfield.
1: Yeah. I And man, again, if he's healthy, everybody drink, right? I mean, when he's out there and he's right, I think he makes the bottom of the lineup just look so much better, right? I mean, especially, I mean, I know you got your Andrew Vaughn's and stuff that on there, but a professional guy like AJ Pollock turning it over, you might be able to see, you know, Tim Anderson, his RBI count might be able to go up, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, just because Pollock is turning it over at the bottom of that lineup. Speaking of a guy who we don't have to worry about, and this factor fiction is just kind of more of a legacy question. And Pat, if you'd like to go first on this one, factor fiction. Jose Abreu at age 35 will notch his sixth 30 home run 100 RBI season. Fact or fiction? I'll say fact. Yeah, I'll let's do it, right? Let's mean, stack
2: I, them up, baby. Yeah. I know. Come Mr. on. Mr. Optimistic. Pat's here. Pat's back. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll say fact on that. Why not? I mean, uh, he's a professional hitter. He doesn't. It's a weird season for him because he doesn't really know what the end is going to be like. Right? He's talked about. You know, not knowing what the future holds for him and, mm-hmm. you know, who really knows how old he could possibly be. So, um, it, but I'll say fact on the base on the fact that he's a, he's a professional hitter. He's going to find a way. He's going to slump and he's going to hit into a lot of double plays. But I, I I see 30 home runs and 100 RBIs. He'll find a way.
1: Yeah, Nick, weigh in on this fact or fiction. Um, you know, interesting season for him last year. right? drove in a ton of runs. Pat, you were dead on, you know. Got through, got went through some cold spells. Definitely the double play is always a problem. But man, can he go through a season though where he gets like isn't get bowled over at first base? And he had some weird, some weird injuries that I think he was playing through. So, factor fiction, 30 home runs, 100 RBIs for the sixth time for Jose Abreu.
0: Yeah, I'm going to say fiction because of the home runs. I don't think he's going to hit 30. I put him more in the 25, uh, maybe 23 to 25 range. Um, Just, man, he, and I love Jose Abreu. Boy, I cannot wait for them to retire his number, build uh, that statue out in the concourse. He's meant so much to this organization. Uh, I really, I I love myself some Jose Abreu, but uh, he gets beat up, man. You know, he doesn't like to take time off. He doesn't like to be a DH. So he's out there playing first base, which can be taxing during a long season at his age. Um, the RBIs, he just seems to get the RBIs, you know, he, Mm -hmm. he gets it somehow the home runs. I I just don't feel like I, the weight's not on his shoulders to get those big hits. You know, we're going to have, I think Jimenez and Robert, that both could be maybe in the 35 to 40 home run category. So I've got a Brady more sitting in, you know, the mid twenties right now,
1: Nick, you're bringing up something interesting that I, Pat, I I wonder if you want to weigh in on real quick is, Do you at all, and this might just be personal, do you guys feel an odd sense of pressure for this season specifically just based on the concept of you want to take advantage of Jose Abreu while you know for a fact he's still in his prime? Does that weigh on you heading into this season? Where I know we talk about windows with the White Sox all the time, and I believe it. I believe they have a three, four, maybe even a five-year window ahead. I don't know if the end of that five-year window has Jose Abreu in it. I'm not going to go ahead and say that. Do you, do you feel like there's maybe a little added pressure trying to get it done with the brave still at the peak of his relative peak of his powers?
2: Yeah, that's uh that's a great question. I, I don't know that I feel any extra pressure. Um, I, I think this organization should, should have a really strong sense of urgency to get it done this year. Everything's built for this moment. And it's in this time, you talked about the window being open. I, I, there's discussion out there about what are we doing with G Leto after this, this time period. And what are the bad feelings that are going to be like after this discussion and the $50,000 that they almost went to arbitration with and all that other BS and, and the bad feelings there. And Yaz has only got two more years left on his deal. So I think the sense of urgency is more so on the fact that the window seems like it's open because we've got a lot of young talent signed up for a lot, a long time, but there's other key pieces that are up here very soon that, and we talked about the Sox don't really re-sign their own or spend a lot of money, so I think it's more about a sense of urgency to win now because of those reasons, not so much because of Jose Abreu. Yes, it, that's just you know icing on the cake, but the other stuff I think is more of a reason to have a sense of urgency to win now.
1: Yeah, that's a good broad view point of it too. Because now, when you say that, I think of. Conerco being seconds away from signing with the Diamondbacks, I think about you know how far apart was Burley and the White Sox on that deal when he went to the Marlins, and and that's beyond a Lucas Giolito. You know that is a part of the White Sox philosophy, uh, financial philosophy, and it has been for quite some time. Uh, let's do a quick one here. This is kind of a half inning. Uh, roll me over a little bit, but fact or fiction, Nick Tony Larusa will have three more eye rolling comments about the sanctity of baseball by the end of the season.
0: Um, man, uh, I I would say that that is going to be fact. He is going to say things that he just can't <laughs> stop himself from, and and he is at a point I think in his life where he doesn't care, and because he has found he is he is the got the great art of walking it back. So mm-hmm. he'll say something he'll realize, wow, I should have never said that out loud. Or I was thinking it. I can't believe I actually said that out loud. Someone reminds him. And then a day later, he kind of reiterates or he like, you know, is able to carve it up into a different way. So we're going to be dealing with this for another year. There's going to be moments where he's going to just really get fans in a big lather and he's going to then explain himself. And then there's going to be people that are going to say, Oh yeah, I guess. And then there's other, there's a big faction of people that just, I don't think they take a lot of stock in what he says anymore. They just, Mm. you know, you know, okay. He's say Why are we even giving him a microphone? Like why is anybody even asking him any questions anymore? But they are. So he's going to say things and I'm at a point where I'm just going to start ignoring it. Probably.
1: Yeah, and it has nothing to do with on the field, but just a follow-up, Nick. Isn't that kind of funny? I mean, this guy is a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's won multiple World Series. He does, in theory, have a credentialed resume that, when you look at it, makes you think you should be listening to what you're saying. But I feel the exact same thing that you're feeling. It kind of just sort of rolls off my back a little bit. It's kind of like, well, what's next, Tony? Are the fireworks too loud? Too many too many fireworks? You know, it, it has that vibe to it, and I don't even know how to characterize it. I wouldn't call it sad, but I mean, it is kind of, he's a little powerless. I feel like
0: he's a smart, smart dude. You don't get to where he's at without having a lot of just good horse sense and surrounding yourself with good people. Uh, He's seen a lot and he kind of, for me, falls into the category of like somebody that is super intelligent that maybe can't articulate. You know what's going through their mind or how or why they made a decision the way they did it's just it's best if he doesn't even explain it because he's probably going to aggravate somebody he's going to confuse a bunch of us because it's going to come out in a way that he didn't want it to be so at this point it's like short answers are the best with him a little short <laughs> sound bites and then just move on
1: <laughs> uh pat um, more than three eye rolling
2: moments, uh, comments from TLR this season. Uh, yeah, that's a fact that's a, over. <laughs> Can I, cause they're a bet in Vegas on that one. <laughs> the unfortunate thing for Tony is, is he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt from this team, from a lot of um, not from the team, from the fans, because a lot of fans wanted AJ Hinch. If AJ Hinch says maybe the things that Tony has said, maybe we don't talk about it as much. Maybe it's mm. not a big discussion. Maybe that's not a narrative but because it's Tony LaRussa and it's not the guy that everybody wanted. It's not what we thought we were getting. And it's still like irritating for some people that he's our manager. Anything he says is going to get sliced and diced. So there'll be plenty of them, whether they're real eye roll moments or, or made up Twitter eye roll moments. They're going to be there. I don't know who's judging it and please don't put me in charge of that. I don't have enough time, but uh, I, I guarantee you there will be at least three eye-rolling moments.
1: Well, so quick, quick follow-up, Pat. Let's just roll it out, man. And, you know, it's the beginning of the season, so I feel like we can do a little bit of this now. What if they win the World Series? What does it do for La Russa? I mean, in my personal opinion, it doesn't catapult him in front of Ozzy, in my eyes.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: what do you think that does for him in this city? I mean, does it buy him more currency than probably he already has earned throughout his long Part of his career, I mean, I'm sure it validates a lot of stuff, right? It I validates think, the choice, it yeah. shuts some of the people up on that end. But I mean, does that really do anything?
2: I think people should endear themselves to him because we're not winning championships left and right in this town, okay? Yeah. Let's be honest with ourselves. You shouldn't say, Well, you know, we're not gonna give no, Tony no credit. Nick and I talked about this, you know, a lot last year. How much credit do you give Tony for, for the success of this team, and how much blame do you give him for not being able to get through a first round? I think there's a lot of credit to be given to a guy that did what he did last year with the players that he had and, or players he didn't have rather. So um, I, I, def- I don't know if it catapults him past Ozzy just because of the length of time Ozzy was here uh, in terms of his playing career. And then, you know, what a character he was and how much the fans just loved him He was a, he was a Ditka-esque type of personality, if you will. And Ditka will be that forever beloved figure in this town, regardless of some of his faults. And I think that's how Ozzy falls. I think it will never reach that status, but it should be appreciated by, by, you know, if Tony wins and maybe he walks off into the sunset and, and it shouldn't just be like, well, he was just here. And he was just a guy walks off in the sunset. Everybody wins
1: on that yeah. one. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for real, though, you know. No, no, you're right. And it, it's funny with the Aussie thing, too. You, you mentioned all the, the personable things. I mean, he also played in an era when you can uh, showcase maybe the manager's skills a little bit more with hit and run and bunting and just the way he kind of manipulated lineups at times. Uh, let's move on. Let's move to the pitching side. Nick, you're going to go first on this one. Fact or fiction, Dylan Cease will lead the team in wins.
0: Uh. Well... <sighs> I'm going to say fiction. Yeah. You know, he, he had 13 wins uh, last year and, you know, I like Dylan Cease a lot. I think he's going to, I think he might even have more than 13 wins this year, but I'm really, really high on Giolito. Um I'm, I'm really, he has put some work in. I just feel like he is, he's, he's ready for business um, and she, and, and Cease will get there, you know, he, he's, he's making his climb, but um, you know, I, I just think, I think it's Giolito's year to kind of jump him. He had a bit of an off year last year. Um, Cease is going to be good, but I think Giolito is going to be a team leader in wins.
1: Pat, a lot of people predicting a breakout year for Dylan Cease. Are you buying Mm -hmm. fact or fiction? Dylan Cease will lead the team in wins. I'll say fact,
2: but I don't know necessarily that that makes him the best pitcher on the team. Because wins, you know, right now, wins in this day and age as a pitcher isn't, uh, you know, the end all be all in stats, stats, you know, there's these advanced metrics that I'm not smart enough to understand all of them, but I will say that G leader will probably be the best, be the best pitcher on the team, but I'll, I'll go with fact on, on taking that next step. Maybe it's 15, 16 wins. And that doesn't sound like a whole heck of a lot compared to, you know, maybe when we grew up, you know, watching baseball. And like, if you weren't 18 to 22 wins, you weren't like a fantastic pitcher. So uh, I'll say yes, fact, but it it won't necessarily make him the best pitcher on the staff.
1: Yeah, I threw it out there because it was kind of an interesting question on both of your sides on this one. I think Dylan Cease takes a step forward this year. And for me, that just means more consistency, outing to outing, inning to inning, right? I think Mm -hmm. that's probably the really important one for me. But I'm not really sure if he's going to be that breakout candidate because I'm leaning right with you, Nick. I think Giolito, Giolito wants to get paid. Giolito pitched well last year, but did he really pitch to the to the quality, to the level that he probably expects out of himself? I would probably say no. And then he got his ass kicked in the playoffs. Those are three really interesting incentives for a pitcher to come in this year and take his game up to another level. And I think Giolito is the type of guy, too, that says, I'm fine, coach. Give me the ball in the seventh inning, which we don't see a lot anymore you know, going a little bit deeper into games. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm with you, though. Like, Dylan Cease could win 16 games and Giolito can win 15. But Giolito's a better pitcher, right? I mean, that's just going to be kind of more of the arbitrary uh, game of baseball. Next one, staying on the pitching side. Um, Nick, if you want to go first, Michael Kopek will strike out 200 batters this year. Now, just to be very clear, um, you know, he uh, averaged 13.4 Ks per nine innings last year. They said that they were going to put him in about 120 to 130 innings this year. So even at that clip, it's going to be hard. This basically means that Kopech needs to get to about that 150-ish innings pitched marker. And I'm putting that in to kind of illustrate your decision. But fact or fiction, Kopech could strike out 200 hitters this year.
0: Well, wow, that, that's a there's a lot to unpack there. If they keep him at 130, ooh, that's a little disappointing for me. Um, I, I would like to for them to unleash him a little bit. Um, I, I'd like him to see to see him get to 145, 150. Uh what do you have? A little over a hundred strikeouts and in 70 innings last year. So um, I don't know. You you put him at um, you know, you double that. You put him at 140 or so. He could he could get there. Um Ah, man, that's a tough one. I- I'm going to say fiction on 200. I-, I think he's, I'd like to go over on 130 innings. Um, But yeah. I-, I think, you know, I think he's going to be um, more of a pitcher as a starting pitcher. He- he's going to be pitching maybe to contact a little bit. He's not going to be this like specialty guy that's coming out of the bullpen that has just all this built up, you know, firepower ready for like just an inning of work or maybe inning of in a third. I think he's going to have to think smarter uh, if he's going to want to log those innings. So I'll, I'll say fiction on the 200.
1: Yeah. And just for perspective, CESA, I think, struck out 225 last year. chilito got about to 201, 202, and they both got over the 160, 170 inning pitch mark. Mm. I'm right there with you with Kopech, but again, Han reiterated only a couple weeks ago that they're going to watch his innings. And again, we're already looking for starting pitching help. And again, Lance Lynn is now hurt, so you know there is going to be something there when the heat of the battle. Maybe they do try and extend him a little bit. Pat, what say you? Do you think Kopech strikes out two hundred with the White Sox perceived plan for him this year?
2: Yeah, I'll 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 go along with my partner and say fiction on that for a lot of the reasons. You said I'm hoping that he is a little bit more more efficient pitcher because we've seen, you know, the way Cease has kind of went through his young. Upcoming into the league where he could get through four innings and, and, and be wiping guys out, but he's using so many pitches to get there. He's got hundred pitches by, by the fifth inning. That does not a recipe for success. Even though this league is all about the strikeout. My hope is that he becomes very efficient pitches, the contact as, as Nick said, and looks to get guys out and just get in and out of half innings. So I'll say fiction in there. I don't think there's any way he's going to get that enough innings to get 200 strikeouts.
1: Man, I don't want to open up a can of worms. This is, I was texting with Nick about this the other day. And I don't know how, how do we, Pat, if you want to go first, how do we get back to the era when a pitcher knew that he had to probably pump 92 to 94 in those first couple of innings and then that second and third time around the lineup, that's when he would kind of rear back and fire. You just mentioned Dylan Cease, who goes out there. He's throwing 98 in the first inning. And he looks great, but guess what? Five, six, seven foul balls later, his pitch Mm -hmm. count is at 18, 19, 20 after the first inning. And -hmm. we're mentioning this – you mentioned it about Kopech too. Can he have the confidence to have that nuance to maybe – you know, work his stuff into a game instead of doing this rocket fire stuff that you see from everyone. Even Degrom, Degrom cannot get on the mound. He's the best pitcher in Major League Baseball. He cannot get on the mound because he can't help himself from throwing 101 in the first inning. Mm-hmm. Pat, yeah. I mean, are we? Are we? Is this just too far gone? Am I just shouting it, into the night on this one, or what are we? Well,
2: doing? yeah, you're you're an old man. yelling in a cloud right now. It's just so. not going to happen. I know. Uh, we're 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 past the 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 era of that the the justin verlanders of the world just don't exist anymore right i yeah. he used to pitch against the Sox and and obviously be a thorn in our size but you know verlander would do that and he wouldn't pump it up over you know 95 96 97 miles an hour consistently until about the uh-huh. sixth or seventh inning he'd sneak he one knew, in and you'd be yeah, like holy shit where would like, that come from and, yeah. and it's just like he, he put it in the tank and he knew he was going to use it when he needed to use it in big moments, I need a strike out here and I'm going to pump it past you. So I, I just don't, I don't see that, uh, happening anymore. I I'd like to, I'd like to get to the point where people actually pitch again and, and where you're, you're using control and you're using movement more so than velocity, but you know, we're just in an era now of, of, you know, what's the radar gun say, and that's what people care about. So, um, I'd like to say it, but. You know, we're we're old men here and um the game isn't for us in the future. It's for the younger generation. And people want to see 100 miles an hour pitch. So, yeah, no, look, it,
1: it is what it is. I totally understand that. I was just watching Major League the other night and like Ricky Vaughn throws a 96 mile an hour fastball and everyone's like creaming in their jeans. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> like it's like there's 100 guys that do that, that do that on the regular yeah. now. Yeah. And um, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's just something that I just think it leads to. More injuries. You know, you wonder about Garrett Crochet. I mean, everyone seems it's a rite of passage now that you get TJ because these guys are throwing so hard right off the bat. I just, it just kind of makes me wonder. Nick, hop in.
0: Well, and I think to that point, I think the garden's got to weed itself. The front office, the scouts, the folks that are doing the drafting have to say, I'm going to force the change. I'm going to look for guys that are more sitting at 93, 94, 95. I'm talking about longevity because now I know enough that these max effort guys, you know, I might not be able to keep them healthy. And if you're drafting mm-hmm. them to, to help out with a championship window and you lose a year and a half because of a Tommy John. So it's, I think it's the clubs that have to put more value on a lower velocity you know, they want to get the game more active. They want balls put in play. Um, I, I feel like everything's cyclical, man. And I think this is going to change eventually. It's just, we're not there quite yet.
1: Yeah, no, it's an interesting debate. And yeah. And I wonder also would a, would a starting pitcher say to himself, you know what? I want to actually get a four or five year deal from a team I'm wondering if I could work my game at 94 and see what happens there. But obviously the pressure to keep up with, that velocity all throughout the league is just so prevalent now. Every single, you know, we talk about it all the time. Bullpen's have six, seven different guys pumping 97, 98 every time. Nick, hop back in.
0: Well, yeah, but if you can prove though, you can throw 94, 95 and you can hit corners, you can mix things up, yep. you know, you can keep hitters off balance. Like you're you're a you're a craftsman, you know. It's not like I am just gonna rear back and try to throw 98 and I've got only maybe two pitches, maybe three. You know, it's it's a pitcher, you know, actually being able to use his arsenal. uh, That's what I would be looking for, you know, as a scout, Um, not just a guy that's just trying to throw it through the catcher's body.
1: Speaking of craftsmen and arsenal, we want to take a quick break to say goodbye to Craig Kimbrell. Craig, great trade, man. You were dependable. Uh, I always slept good at night uh, whenever you came in the game afterwards. Um, I think you're a great boon for the Dodgers and uh, we're just really it's a tough. It's a tough get rid of, guys. I don't know. I don't know what exactly is going to happen there. Uh, moving on, we got just a couple left here on the pod. Uh, this one's an interesting one. This is kind of open ended, but I made a decision on myself. Nick, if you'd like to go first, Factor Fiction: The team's biggest challenge in the division this year will be the hated Twins. Sonny Gray, Gary Sanchez, Carlos Correa, mixed with Kepler and Buxton. Is it the Minnesota Twins that will be chasing the White Sox down for the division this year?
0: I'm going to say fiction. Uh, I think it's the Detroit Tigers. Um, Hmm. They've got some arms. They've got some guys that they're bringing up, Um, you know, the hobby bias thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and we've seen them, you know, we've been watching them and what they've been doing and I, I, you know, you could throw AJ Hinch in there too. And the bias thing can't hurt, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he does in the American league uh, for the season. Um, I, I, think it's Detroit. I, I, I'm, I applaud the twins for what they did and, and really tried to throw some money at some situations. It's a little odd. Um, I, I think they've got Correa for maybe one year only. He's going to try to get the most out of his season, but, um, I I'm might really, trade him. He yeah, might not even make and, it to August. That's absolutely. A- absolutely. And so that's why I I'm leaning towards Detroit.
1: Pat, uh, way in factor of fiction, the biggest challenge to the White Sox in the division this year
2: will be the Minnesota Twins. Wow, that's a. I, I don't know. I just I don't know if I buy into uh, the other teams in the in the division uh, yet. I think the Tigers are still probably a year away. I think they I think they they've got some young pitching, but I don't know if it's proven young pitching. They happen to be the I think the best team in the American League the second half. I know that definitely in the Central, they're the best team in the Central the second half of the year. They may have been one of the best teams in baseball the second half of the year so i understand why the belief in the tigers i don't know i just uh, until the the twins go through a full-on rebuild and and we see it and they're spending like guardians type money like twenty thousand dollars or whatever they're going to spend uh then then i i I guess i'll go fact i'll go i'll go that that it's going to be the twins because they just always are it's just always them
1: that's why that's why i picked that's why i picked them is just like they live
0: yeah, rent-free in Sox fans' minds. Yep. I mean, they will never go away. Like, we are – no matter what happens with them, we are always going to be fearful of the Minnesota Twins.
1: And just real quick, you did bring up the Guardians. Uh, if either of you want to weigh on it real quick. I was I was looking it up last night, going through all the teams in the division. Good grief. I do not know who's in that Cleveland offensive lineup. I cannot pick uh, too many of them out, I'll be honest with you, outside of a Jose Ramirez, but I, I do – do any of you maybe say to yourself though, if Bieber comes back healthy with Plissack and Tristan McKenzie, that there'll be a tough play? You know, you always want to beat up on your own division. Is there a possibility that we see some two-to-one games that maybe go the side of the Guardians because the pitching's so good? Does that worry you at all, or is I mean that offensive lineup is bad? I don't know what to say about it. You know.
0: Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm more worried about the Royals than I am the Guardians. The Royals have got some young talent that's coming up. The Royals are building something in the next few years. Um, the Guardians, I just think, are going to eat it this year. And, you know, they're going to scrape uh, a couple wins against us. Is as is as, as It's tough to play in Cleveland traditionally for us. Um, it's going to happen, but... I am I am feeling like how the Sox manhandled the Twins last year, that's what's going to happen with us against the Guardians. We're just going to mm-hmm. kind of take care of business over there, and it's it's that type of year for them.
1: Yeah, and keep in mind, Sox fans, we won the division by 13 games last year. So even if the division gets a little bit closer, right, we're still talking maybe a six, seven, eight game pad if the White Sox go out there and do what they need to do. Speaking of that, let's move it. Uh, we've got two left here. Uh, Nick, we're going to stick with you on this one. This is a fun one. The White Sox will have five All-Stars in the All-Star game this year. Fact or fiction, just to be very fair, they had four last year. Lynn Hendricks, Rodon, Anderson. Fact or fiction, five All-Stars for the White Sox this year.
0: Fact. I think you'll get Giolito, Cease. I'll see you'll get Mancada, Robert, and Anderson. Um, hmm. so there you th- go. Th- those, are, those are guys that I could see easily. Uh, making it and you know I, I don't think you'll see a brave but the, the question is is will you see any White Sox starting a position in the all-star game and I would love mm. to see Robert start at center field but there's you know that's just not going to happen in the American League not while Mike Trout is roaming out there but um I could see five I could definitely see five uh, representation for the Sox yeah
1: that goes back to the national uh you know just the national uh, headlines being on the White Sox is often that uh, Pat alluded to earlier. That just might not happen. It's hard to get them in the game. Pat, what say you, man? Uh, Factor Fiction, five
2: All-Stars for the White Sox this year. I'll say Fiction because uh, I think, again, not that the team was littered with, you know, All-Star type guys or Superstar type guys. In 2005, we had four All-Stars if memory serves. I don't remember my one of my favorite teams in 93, the team that I was, you know, hoping that would have won the World Series. I don't remember them being, you know, a more than five all-stars in that game. I could be way off. It could be wrong on that one because it was a long time ago, but you know, all-star games and, and number of guys you have, and it, it's, it's hard, you know, to get that many guys in, unless there's a lot of alternate situations and people not able to play starters, you know, just not going because of, uh, of when they pitch. So I will say fiction just based on, I just think it's, it's an oddity to get for us anyway, to get more than, than four. Yeah, and it's
1: also sometimes they make it a little bit like a popularity contest, and I just know Mm -hmm. the White Sox have a lot of young, talented players on their team. So if they're one of the best teams in the American League, I could maybe see an Aloy edging out maybe somebody else and getting someone in there. And honestly, they're super fun and exciting to watch. I think America would enjoy having as many White Sox in the game as possible. All right, guys, let's go to the final one here. Um, You know what? I'm going to leave World Series off the board because it's a long season to go. Jeff Passan already said that the White Sox are going to win the World Series. So that's enough for me. Um, But my final one, Pat, if you'd like to go first, um, fact or fiction, the White
2: Sox will win 98 or more games this year. Holy Lord in heaven. Uh, 98 games is a lot of games to win. We talked about this division being, you know, should be a, a, I shouldn't say easy. It will not be as easy as last year. I would hope that you're going to gobble up a lot of wins in within your division, but 98 is a lot, man. And, and to me, it's, it's going to be difficult when we talked about the pitching, how we're going to have to get through this next or the first month and a half or so, or two months, if you will, I'll say fiction. God, I've said a lot of fiction today. I'm not being very optimistic. I'll say fiction on the number of wins. It's probably going to fall within somewhere for me, like a 92 to 95 uh, win win team is what I feel
1: yeah the reason why I put it at 98 was because I don't have the number in front of me but if you look a large portion of if you get over to 98 wins you got a damn great shot at getting to the World Series now of Mm. course we always have the Mariners we always have those types of stories but if you get in that area that 97 98 99 you're right there and I would also maybe counter and just say that the White Sox probably will be have an opportunity to be better this year than they were last year which couple more wins get you a little bit closer to that so Nick I'll ask you factor fiction 98 plus wins for the Chicago White Sox this year
0: I think fiction as well that, that is a lot of wins um I I see them sitting around 95 um mm-hmm. you know I, I think it yes the Lynn thing factors in a little bit um I I wanted to go fact just because it is a fairly weak division um and they can make some hay that way but um that's a lot i mean they they, i mean they won 93 are they five games better um perhaps uh, so here's here's my
1: here's my quick counter right though is did we not play 500 baseball basically the last couple months of the season last year i mean we were cruising towards this number last year and we kind of sort of stumbled a little bit and got our mojo back around the field of dreams game just a touch but you know never really clicked back into that early season i mean i get it it's a long year but i mean it's attainable, but I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm with you, you know, 98s 98's a big number. And it, obviously if we get to 98 or over, the reason why I put it, that is it makes us the odds on favorite to win the American league.
0: Yeah. Uh, it is. I definitely would like to revisit it after April. I am definitely an April mm-hmm. guy. I'm a spring baseball guy because that, that can really set the tone. And, um, they mean just as much as they do in, in late, you know, August and September, uh, I am really curious about the Lynn thing. Um, you know, I think they're gonna mash their way to some victories. Um if you tell me, well, they'll win the 95 and then they'll they'll get to the ALCS, it's like I I could see that happening, you know, as more of a, a best case scenario.
1: So a quick follow-up on that. When you're talking about you love April. Uh, what is it you're looking for? I mean, maybe just beyond, you know, getting off to a good start and wins and losses. Are you looking at how the team plays as a whole? Are you looking at are you kind of like a, the fundamentals set the standard for the rest of the season? Or are you also maybe a guy that's like who's coming out of the gate swinging? Who's cold and how are they playing in proportion to that? Because if we're winning and Jose Abreu isn't hitting, sometimes that can mean, oh, wow, we're going to do even better moving forward. Like what is your philosophy of April?
0: For me, it is coming out of the gate and just grabbing wins when you can grab them and, and looking at this type of month where we've got 13 games against the AL central. It's one of the only two months in the whole season where we play the entire entire central, uh, in a month. So we're, we're seeing our competition and we can, you know, you can set the tone for the rest of the season. I feel like if you play these games tough in April, you almost have a win in hand when you see them later in the road, because they're going to remember, wow, that team really, you know, messed us up and they didn't have Lynn at the time. And they were hurting a little bit uh, pitching wise. I just feel like you start off fast, you know, you can get into a good rhythm and I, I go back because, you know, look, that was in, that was such an amazing year for, you know, obvious reasons. In 2005, they went wire to wire. And and they you know they didn't look back and they had to lead got... the
1: first thirty eight games of the season yeah. is that correct yeah something like that
0: yeah and so I, I I don't know like if we went back and we looked at numbers of other World Series winners and and teams that regularly make the playoffs you you got to imagine they start off they start off pretty strong there have been some teams that had rough springs and then just completely flipped the switch um, but I, I don't know I look I get it it's a marathon but I'm starting to look right away, you know, how the team's playing and if they can get into a groove.
1: Yeah, it's that age old question a little bit of, you know, when, when does that five game losing streak come into play? We saw it with Renteria's team in 2020, right? Where do they start? I think, was it one and six? Am I mm-hmm. something like that? You know, when does that five game losing streak start? And are there enough games on the board to make it seem bigger than what it actually is? Cause maybe if it heads up later, you don't think about it as much. Just, okay, go
0: ahead. I mean, another thing is when you come, when you look at the Midwest too, and it's, we're going to be playing in some crummy conditions weather-wise mm-hmm. in April. So it's more about stealing wins because we're all going to be enjoying the summer weather in June, July, and August. The muscles are a little bit looser, you know, the bat, the ball's flying. It's those April games, those gritty games where, you know, you're just trying to steal wins. And if you could steal a few here, steal a few there, you know, that's where I think you're going to be able to stockpile uh, when, when everybody is feeling pretty good uh, in midsummer.
1: Pat, are you a month guy? Are you a time of the season guy? Or like, you know, for you, like, when do you start maybe taking stuff really seriously, right? You don't want to flip out after 10 games, but at some point, or do you want to flip out after 10 games? That's up to you. That's at your leisure. <laughs> but, but, we'll, but for you like uh is there a particular point in the season or a moment that kind of really
2: you start to pay attention and say this is who this team is? Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, Joey. I mean, uh, it's written in my good guys talk back contract that I have to care about every single game and every moment. Um <laughs> otherwise a I'm not company to come back on my own show. So, uh no, I honestly they are it's more about how they're playing in April. Right. Yeah. It, it, rather than maybe the result, because because I, I think, you know, listen, let, let's let's make sure that we're doing the right things. We're not making silly errors and and beating ourselves. If the wins, if we're if we're a 500 club after 10 games, I'm not going to freak out about that. I'm just not going to. Mm-hmm. But if we're playing really terrible baseball and we're getting our, our heads beat and we're using up a lot of bullpen arms and innings in the bullpen in those first 10, 10 games, because we just can't get our shit together. I, you know, that's what I'm looking at is, is more of the how than than the result, if that makes any yeah. sense at all.
1: No, totally. I, I'm typically, I would say in general, I'm like a 40 games in kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Obviously, health and injuries are a huge part that you want to pay attention to. But I don't really get too worked up about someone that might be struggling or a couple of rough starts here and there. I will tell you, though, there are certain things that really that really can affect beyond you know beyond my, I'm not saying anything till 40 games like no 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 if your bullpen blows up in the first week or so or if you have a couple of guys that can't get out of the second or third inning and that collateral damage on your bullpen starts to tax mm-hmm. it or as you mentioned Pat you start kicking the ball around a little bit and you start building these habits that are troubling um I typically pay a lot more attention to that a little bit quicker than I would probably prefer because I do like to give each, you know, I, I like to give each starter at least three or four turns. Um, I do like to give a hitter at least a hundred or so at bats. You know what I mean? Before I start really kind of saying one way or the other, like AJ Pollock, if he's hitting one thirty May 5th, I'm not going to flip out. You know what I mean? I'm going to kind of wait and see just a little bit, but there are certain things that kind of get me going a little bit, Nick, hop back in. Um,
0: You know? Yeah. I, I would say be patient with, you know, the numbers on certain guys, you know, Mancada if he's in a slump or something, but you look back at what happened in April and early May last year and we gave some games away. Poor yes. bullpen management by La Russa. Just, you know, we did not execute offensively, runners in scoring position, all of that classic stuff. And then here we are in late September looking at the scoreboard to see if Houston's losing. And, you mm-hmm. know, that's where I say, hey, these these games could matter for us late in the summer for home field advantage. Like Don't, don't play sloppy and just throw games away. Um, You know, there, yes, I know it's a marathon, but you might need those in the bank uh, come end of summer.
1: No, that's a great point. That's probably how it gets you to 98 wins. You know what I mean? Is not kicking maybe some of those games down the drain early on in April. Um, Strange last topic, but I just want to get it out there. You just mentioned Moncada a little bit. He seems to be kind of, uh, you know, there's a left and there's a right side to Moncada in terms of Sox fans. You know, a lot of people are either frustrated by him. Or I'm kind of really excited about Yohan Makata this year, personally. Uh, My pitch on that is that if you look at a lot of events, advanced metrics, hardball hit rate, uh, BABIP, all that stuff, it all kind of lines up where Makata is an above average, if not close to elite offensive infielder in just the American League. Let's just keep it there. And I look at a player who took a screaming line drive off of his shin, what, in Anaheim two weeks into the season? And then the rest of the year just kind of limped around and had some weird injuries. I don't know if he's a guy that needs to, you know, be a Ferrari 100 percent to play every single day. There's some guys that are like that. Uh, I just want to get your take real quick on Mankata, because this guy could be an X factor, kind of a, a dude that if he's good and everyone else is good, maybe it just takes the thing to a whole nother level that we never even anticipated before. So, Pat, what is, what's your expectation
2: for Mankata this year? My expectations are always very high for you Makata. I mean, I think last year when Nick and I did our preview to the season show, which I think we're recording tomorrow, you know, we, I talked about my team MVP being Johan Makata last year, Mm. and I'm expecting that type of, uh, you know, play from him this year. And I think a lot of people have a problem with him because the power numbers aren't there. And you look at his overall game and you mentioned a lot of the metrics, Joey, uh, he's, he's an above average, close to elite offensive player in my mind. And it's just because he didn't put the ball over the fence more than 20 times last year that people are really down on him because we know he has the ability. But when he came up, if you remember, you know, he struck out 200 plus times mm-hmm. in, in his first go around with the socks, but he was, ha- he was showing some power and all of a sudden it's like, well, he's not taking enough pitches, he's not getting on base. He's not walking enough. Well, he does that. He now he's taking pictures, pitches and getting on base and walking and people are mad at him about it. So it's like, he's got to find that happy medium where it's okay. You're going to, we're okay if you strike out a little bit more than you have, but we need a little bit more power out of you. I have got a big expectations for him. I'm a big fan. And I think you're right. I think he could be the X factor, the guy that nobody wants to talk about it anymore, that if he has a, you know, even better season and, and putting the ball over the fence, he's going to be a guy that we're talking about winning because of type guy.
1: It's curious, it's just that secret sauce guy a little bit. We know what mm-hmm. we're going to get from Tim Anderson. We know what we're going to get from Jose Abreu. We know Grandal's going to get on base. We know Aloy's going to hit home runs, and we know Luis Robert's going to do a little bit of everything with his athleticism. But if Moncada can take that next step to a level that we haven't quite seen yet in a White Sox uniform, it really changes the ballgame in a huge way. Nick, you know what are your expectations for Moncada?
0: Mancata is a guy that had so much pressure on his shoulders when he came over in that Chris Sale trade I mean he was a front page uh, article on ESPN magazine of like watch out this guy is going to be the greatest thing to baseball okay and he was our hope he was our only hope at that moment you know and those were the beginning of the rebuilding days where we weren't accruing draft picks we weren't playing really around in the international market too much, aside from Abreu, um, we needed something to latch on to. We were in a feeling as fans is like, it has to be Mankata. This is the superstar we need, the offensive juggernaut. And, you know, he's dealt with some injuries. He had the COVID thing. Um, We built up those things. We, as fans, built him up. And as everybody does, you know, in the media world, you build somebody up and you will tear them down when they don't meet your expectations that you decided to build for this individual. He does not have to be the savior offensively. Robert, Aloy, those are the guys that are gonna be your mashers. I'm even looking at Vaughn too. I feel like he's gonna have a good year. If Mankata can just, you know, he's going to, he's going to, he's not flashy either. I think people want more energy out of Mankata. That, that's for Tim Anderson. Let Tim Anderson do all that. Mancada is going to, and Aloy, Mancada is going to do his thing. If he can hit around 20 home runs, you know, that's great. I'm looking for more aggressive Mancada. Don't sit hmm. there and take some pitches, jump on those pitches. If that's your pitch right away, you know, don't be, you know, complacent to try to work deep into account, you know, get on top of those pitches, take a pitch, take a page out of Tim Anderson's book, you know, cause then you're catching some pitchers off guard. Cause I think the book on Mancada is throw this groove of fastball down this, down the lane and he's going to take it. Cause he, he wants to see one. Oh, mix it up Mancada. you know, and then, and then you've got a dangerous Mancada.
1: Yeah, I'm with you, and it's just—it's interesting. He's a player that's kind of lying in the weeds a little bit, and you illustrated it so perfectly with the timeline of how we built him up, how that kind of took the air out of the balloon a little bit, and now maybe expectations land in the world of angst or frustration. But I think those expectations can still be met with him. And uh, man, final one before we get out of here, guys. Uh, Tim Anderson—we didn't mention Tim Anderson the whole damn pod. How dare us? Uh, because I don't know—it's just what we expect from Tim Anderson, correct? Uh, Pat, is there anything Is there anything that Tim Anderson can add to his game that you'd like to see this year? Is there another level to his game that you'd like to see uh, maybe go up a notch? Um, and it could well, be
2: defensively. Yeah, I, I <laughs> mean, you know, Nick got on him uh, about his defense a couple of years ago. Is he a second Tim, baseman? And, well, he a... Tim responded, though. Tim responded. He heard the T.A. T E uh, seven or whatever Nick would tweet out every time there was an error. And when it got to over 20, you know, Nick was calling him and, and uh, making requests <laughs> that he get better. And, and he, he proved to be better. I, I think it is defensively. I don't know if it's ever going to be to the, you know, spotless. It's always going to be wow moment type of, Oh my gosh. Uh, playing the shortstop position. But I think he's, he's a hell of a shortstop. And he does a ton of great things for this team. I think it's more about, uh, you know, the way he leads the team, his actions, you know, Tim goes, we go type of type of guy. And that's more important to me than, you know, making every spectacular play at shortstop. He's going to make those, but he's also going to, he's gonna also going to throw some, you know, uh, you know, bombs over there for space that Jose is going to have to dig out, which Jose has gotten a lot better at doing over the years. So, uh, I don't know where he improves. If it's I don't know if he can improve a ton defensively. I think he's kind of where he's gonna be defensively, to be honest with you. But I just think he needs to continue to be that guy and that voice and be the face of the organization, really. Yeah, and there were reports
1: in spring training that he actually got lighter this year. He wanted it to mm. be lighter to obviously he had fatigue with his legs last year. Some of that he thought might have had to do with the bulk of his swing. He just wanted to be more athletic. Maybe that can add a little extra. Range and a little bit more control to his uh, playing at shortstop. Um, I love the guy to death. If I wanted to be really honest, or if I had my choice, he's a second baseman. I mean, you know, I, I, this is in a, on a championship team, especially when you look at a guy like, oh, could the White Sox gotten in on a guy like Carlos Correa and put Tim Anderson at second? That's your answer right there. Can they win the World Series with him at shortstop? I absolutely think they can. Of course. But, you know, there is a limitation there a little bit. Nick, just weigh in on Tim Anderson. You know, where does he take his game to the next level? What do you want to see from him this year, you know, that maybe he hasn't gone yet? Because each year the dude keeps getting better and better, and it's so impressive and so easy to root for.
0: Yeah, I want him to protect himself. I want him to make sure, you know, and this goes in the offseason. I think that's where the work could have been done is just conditioning, making sure those legs are ready to go. Um, yeah, I'm on the defensive stuff, Timmy six, Anderson. um, and it's a lot of footwork stuff. He just doesn't get himself in position and he tries to backhand and that goes wrong. and then he tries to rush a throw. He's throwing off balance. He's so athletic, though. It's almost like you're you're saying to yourself, you could cover all of those spots at shortstop because he can't get to it. Um, maybe there's a little bit more of, you know, positioning, maybe that's more for Miguel Cairo and getting setting him up for success of where he plays in the infield. And that's a whole nother topic with this white Sox organization. Um, but it is a joy watching him play. There was a Dodgers spring training game, maybe a week ago, and he was three for three with three RBIs and how excited he is, you know, and, and they were, they were singles, maybe a double flick of the wrist. It shoots it out into the gap flares a single, you know, he's running to first John at his teammates, you know, in the dugout. That's the stuff that, that I love seeing. I don't want to change him. Just, I just want him to protect his body, you know, because we need him for, you know, a full season.
1: That's gonna do it here on Bet on Chicago with Joy Christopoulos, the White Sox season preview with the Good Guys Talk Back co-hosts Pat Hester and Nick Moraski. Today's episode was presented by BetOnline.ag. 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use promo code Believe B-L-E-A-V. Make sure you check that out, especially with opening day, just right around the corner. Gentlemen, so great to see you again. Thank you so much for coming on look guys the the success and and the journey of your guys continues just gets better bigger and better the guests get better and better every single time you're guys doing great stuff i can't wait to listen to you guys all season long thanks for so much so much for coming back on uh real quick pat throw out your uh, socials for all the good people so they can follow oh my
2: gosh my all friends, of your comings uh, and goings yes. you can follow me uh, you can follow me on twitter at, at pat Huster 21 and that's about all you can really do i, I mean nick does all the other stuff for, for good guys talk back nobody really wants to follow me i'm not that important nick's the, nick's the star uh, what are you
1: talking about you've been an amazing hype man for his mustache now for at least a couple of weeks well, running now and it's in my contract <laughs> <laughs> stipulation. stipulated uh, Nick man congratulations again everyone make sure you check out Lockdown Socks as well as Good Guys Talk Back all season long this season is going to be special hopefully they win the World Series so you're going to want to get in on it and be in all the information all the time the only way to do that is with Lockdown Socks and Good Guys Talk Back Nick throughout your socials my good man and good to see you
0: yeah. Thank you so much, Joey. Uh, you find me on Twitter at Nick underscore GGTB and uh, good guys. Talk back is at good guys, TB and uh, locked on socks at locked on socks. Uh, should be a damn fun season. Thank you
1: so much for checking out this episode, especially on YouTube. Like and subscribe below. You can follow me at Joey sports guy on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks so much for checking out this pod. we got plenty more coming the rest of the week until then be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. And remember when in doubt, always bet on Chicago.